Right. So uh, we have this question of uh, the idea of the family, right? Now, this is again something very, very political, right? And we get the idea of that the talk is all about children, right? Yeah, and bringing up children, which is interesting in as much as this was also something that the Romantic age thought about, right? But over here, it's somewhat different, right? And you have the idea of Isabel having five children, right? Yeah, and uh, you don't see many maids around in the house. And does Isabel have maids in her own house, right? And is a woman actually meant for a baby producing and being a cook and a housekeeper, right? Now, these are questions that we're asking today, right? Yeah, of course, up to now, right up to chapter 12, we don't have any mentions about this idea of uh, household work being a problem, but we have mentions of it obliquely, right? Because you're talking about Mr. Ta uh, Ms. Taylor, who becomes Mrs. Weston, right? And uh, it goes off into this idea of, uh, oh, well, uh, Mr. West, uh, Mr. Woodhouse is constantly mourning about Miss uh, Taylor not being there and how sad it was for her to go. And uh, Emma is always saying, well, but we expected it to happen and it was going to happen and we're happy for her and all those kind of things. And uh, there are mentions to say that, look, uh, well, she's very happy with Mr. West, uh, Mr. Weston, whatever that thing, right? But it's also interesting that the idea of the child of Mr. Weston comes back, right? And he becomes Churchill, right? Forgotten his first name, right? He's, uh, he's Churchill, right? And that becomes a part of the conversation because the idea of how do you give up your child, right? Your biology, yeah, the Churchills, right? Yeah, but what is his first name? F.C. Churchill, right? I, Francis was his name. I'm, I've forgotten his name. Some, somebody can be uh, remind me about it, right? So he, he goes and stays with his own grandparents and the first wife of Mr. Weston uh, dies and that's why he, he marries uh, Miss Taylor who is there, uh, kind of uh, looks after the house and uh, stays with them and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So that's again an important business that we have, right? And the idea is who keeps house, who knows how to keep house, right? We have a missing wife for Mr. Woodhouse, right? And Miss uh, Taylor is a substitute in some uh, ways that is looking after the house, right? Yeah. And of course, uh, that's of course what uh, Emma also doesn't have a mother, right? So now we look at all those things and we talk about the conversation between Emma and Knightley, right? And the idea that Knightley is a much older man, uh, she's, he's about 16 years older than Emma, right? So he's about 37, right? And uh, she's about 21, right? So you have uh, quite an age difference. Uh, today, of course, nobody would care about that kind of age difference. But at that point of time, a 16-year age difference was a huge kind of uh, a gap, right? Okay, and of course, uh, yeah, so uh, all these questions come up, you know, uh, do women like older men? 
okay, do when um, uh, uh, older men like younger women, right? Or is it, or is this a stereotype, right? So if you're reading it from a woman's literature kind of perspective, okay, is it a stereotype that has been created, right? That we have the idea of women uh, must, uh, a woman must be much younger than a man, okay? Otherwise they can't have a relationship and all those kinds of issues which we might uh, find a little troubling, yeah, perhaps are operating over here, right? And these are issues which keep coming up, right? So the idea of Natalie being 16 years older than Emma, uh, whether it's a safe kind of distance, right? Because we're talking about distance, right? Uh, and up till now, there's no uh, hint of any kind, it's not like the Mills and Boone's actual thing that's happening, but it's a very uh, subtle kind of a Mills and Boone's novel, right? Yep, right. Uh, so if you want to call it that, and of course I'm, I know that all the, the very, very conservative uh, people of English literature will be very angry that I've compared uh, Jane Austen to the Mills and Boone's or the progenitor of Mills and Boone's, right? But you just see how it operates and you see the dynamics of the narrative, right? And uh, the, the ideas that are behind it, right? That it is, of course, there is this whole debate about a single woman, right? Yeah, and that happens uh, in about uh, 11 or 12, right? chapter 11 or 12, right? And this idea of, uh, they go back to Miss Bates, right? And we've not re really been introduced to Miss Bates, but the idea between age and uh, uh, the idea of a woman not getting married, right? And uh, uh, being 21 and not getting married is different between, uh, uh, from being 40 and not married. And all those kind of issues come up, right? And they talk about this uh, misspates, right? And what exactly are the problems that a single woman faces, right? And of course, uh, one might not like to consider uh, Jane Austen uh, as a feminist. Uh, okay, and that these are questions that we still have open, right? Because at one level she's saying, if a woman has money, then what is interesting is she can live a life and she gets respect, right? But if a single woman doesn't have money, then she's not considered respectable, right? And that's the condition of for Mrs. Bates, right? So the idea is you have this expression which in England, uh, in English is the old maid, right? So one is the idea of the old maid, right? And the other is we have to check when we come to the end of the novel, we have to check whether we, we can accuse Emma of having something called the aunt complex, right? Because the aunt complex, uh, I'm sorry I've forgotten the name of the author who's talking about that, uh, Maurice, so I, I've forgotten the name because I read it long, long ago in school and with no intention of even, uh, well, uh, that was just out of curiosity, right? Uh, how to handle your complexes, I think that was the name of the book, but I don't remember who the author was at all, right? Yeah, and it was quite interesting because it talks about the Electra complex, the Oedipal complex, right? The Lolita complex, uh, it also talks about the arm complex, right? Yeah, and the aunt complex is very interesting, yeah, because the aunt complex is, uh, this is uh, a woman 
who wants to actually get uh, have children but doesn't want to get married okay doesn't want to have a husband right and you get many people like that in the world right and is emma that kind of a woman right that's a question i think we all have to ask right because at one level she's really nosy she's trying to pry into other people's lives she's trying to actually control the scripts of their lives right yeah and at the same time what is sophisticated about her is she knows and she tries to make maintain a distance right and we see that when she's trying to make a match between uh, uh elton and hamlet right so she's actually trying to and then uh, she has this very interesting device which you can see and many of these people try to do that right she's trying to leave them alone so that they have their privacy and they can talk on their own terms right yeah something that in india perhaps doesn't happen or maybe it's happening now right uh, because culture and society also changing right but otherwise what normally happens is we talk uh, in the range uh, kind of marriage systems of india you don't have uh, the the man and the woman getting to know each other talking about what they like and dislike all those kind of things don't happen right yeah and what is interesting is emma says well it should be for love right and if you don't marry for love what are you marrying for right which is interesting at and that becomes an interesting point in time uh, because it's actually saying well uh, you can marry for position you can marry for power you can marry for love right so marriage is talked about right and a marriage becomes a kind of a conversation between harriet and uh, emma right so that's something that you might like to consider right so what do people marry for right yeah uh, of course uh, in india some of the things are really disgusting right and one of the sad things about india is love is not permitted right sex is brutal sexes rapes all those kind of things are what we actually hear about and read about in the newspapers and about uh, all the kinds of activities that we have right yeah and the idea of love is something that is not even uh, admissible right yeah whether you take riya chakravarti or you take any other uh, kind of person right uh, love is not at all acceptable right yeah rape sex brutality all those kind of things uh, i uh, so that's something that is very sad about our own culture right which we need to think about right yeah and perhaps that's also changing somewhere right yeah so maybe in some sections of society marriage is to be for love right and that's a kind of understanding that you have in this very unromantic uh, at one level the novel is uh, in the romantic age and uh, it's somewhat uh, it's got something to do with the romance right but uh, or what you call medieval romance and it's uh, definitely influenced by shakespeare right but uh, I, that's what we talked about yesterday right yeah so uh, it's somewhat influenced by shakespeare and at the same time uh, we also talking about this idea of uh, the idea of love right so is has love got anything to do with it right and the idea of falling in love with somebody or how does that happen right and all those kind of issues 
are not really discussed in the in the first part of first volume of the uh, novel, right? Yeah, but it it does become a conversation uh, when they're walking down to Mr. Eaton's place, right? Yeah, and then of course Mr. Eaton comes up, and then you have a a shoe ritual, right? A shoelace ritual. My shoelaces have come off, right? And then at one point of time, the shoelace is broken, right? And she uses that as a way to see that Harriet and Eaton get close to each other, right? Yeah. Now, so that's one of the things that you might find interesting, right? Because it's a question of um, compatibility of people that's important, right? And when you talk about the love business that you're talking about, you're getting one person is marrying another human being and not getting married for the sake of marriage as we do in India, right? Yeah, and the idea of the idea of being an old maid, the fr fear of being an old maid is something that besets a lot of people, right? Not for the feminist, right? Yeah, so is Jane a feminist or is Jane not a feminist, right? And we must remember that in the background we have people like George Sohn and we have people like uh, Mary Wollstonecraft, right? Uh, so who are uh, very close to this age, right? And they actually are people who believe in living uh, a life of, uh, of freedom, right? As women, right? And you have a, uh, the, the whole kind of the relationship with men, right? Or the sexual kind of encounters with men is something that's also happening, right? Now, of course, here, uh, this is a very, very Puritan kind of treatment, right? And it's almost platonic because there's nothing about sexuality, right? Yeah, unless you look for signs and symbols over here, right? So you're talking about uh, uh, Knightley and how he behaves. It's more about the behavior, right? The idea of gentlemanliness, the idea of gentleness, right? All those kind of things are what is stressed upon. The idea of uh, how do you behave properly in society, right? So that's something that becomes a big part of the novel, right? And uh, uh, if you don't uh, cater to all that, then of course you might find the novel a little boring, right? But the idea is to see what people talk, right? How do you have a conversation? Right? And look at the way uh, the novel is taking us into all the kind of conversations that we have. Right? They don't have much to talk about. Right? Yeah? But they do have the idea of a conversation. Right? And, and there's also something that's very important. Right? The whole idea of the formality. Right? Which is very, very English. How are you? How are you? Right? That's what the brothers say to each other. Right? And, uh, uh, of course, in India, I don't know if people wish also, if you re meet a close uh, uh, relation, like a brother or a, f uh, a father or mother, do, do people go and hug them and kiss them? Uh, I'm not, I do not know about that, right? Yeah. But otherwise, uh, in this kind of a world, you actually have, uh, at least the women don't have a problem with kissing, right? And of course, the English uh, don't like kissing unless you're very intimate with them, right? Uh, yeah, so that's... Of, co of course, kissing is very common uh, among young people on trains. You'll find that uh, not, uh, not even if they are, well, the school, the school kids, right? I saw a lot of that happening. Uh, 
uh, a lot of smoking and a lot of uh, a lot of kissing happening on trains, right? Yeah, so that's something that you might get, right? But uh, by and large, kissing is only for people who are very intimate. That's what the English believe, but not the French, right? So we're talking about the idea of so you you just when you read through the book, look for the times you have something called kissing happening, right? And how many people kiss each other, right? Now, and that's maybe uh, a question of uh, centuries of difference between the Mills and Boons and uh, Jane Austen, right? Yeah, the whole idea of kissing a child is a different thing. Kissing the parents is a different thing. Yeah, we're talking about behavior, right? And we're talking about social customs and behavior, right? So when we talk about culture, these are very important markers of culture, right? And the idea is that uh, here you have a kind of safe relationship without any kind of, at least uh, in the beginning of the novel, right? Uh, uh, and of course, there is no show of emotion, right? That is very conservative as far as the idea of English society is concerned, right? Yeah, and uh, so they don't show their sentiments, but all that, according to my uh, teacher, Professor Sinha, uh, pr uh, from Pune University, he would say, well, when you look at the English, it looks as if they are emotionless. But when you look at the output of poetry, that's where the English excel. Uh, and the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the sure quantum of uh, poetry produced from the English, right, is something else, right? So the, maybe the, all of that comes out in their poetry, right? Yeah, but you get a, a very, very... Uh, real understanding of how they operate in their own lives and the spheres and the whole idea of this uh, thing called British politeness, right? Which uh, is very strange for us because we are a different culture, right? But it's okay for them, right? Because here you have the fact that George Knightley is a person uh, who is not married and is a bachelor, right? Yeah, and uh, the bachelor, of course, is uh, in uh, Wycherley, the old bachelor, right? The bachelor is actually a womanizer, right? Yeah, and he's a womanizer in as much as, and he, he, he actually gets uh, a court certificate to show that he's important, right? And then he's having a good time with the women and seducing them and all that kind of thing. And that's what you call uh, the, the age just before this, or we call the neoclassical age, and we've already done that. We talk about the restoration era, and the age before that, that is an age of suppression under the, uh, the great man uh, Oliver Cromwell, right? With all this Puritan, uh, puritanical ethos which is there, right? Yeah, so what happens over here is uh, we're talking about the idea of purity, right? A purity of behavior, right? And the idea of, now whether it's because of Cromwell or not, I don't know, right? Because uh, after Cromwell, you have this uh, excessive uh, show of uh, what Jeremy Collier would call vulgarity and indecency on the English stage, right? So that's something that uh, is accounted for and that becomes also a mention in uh, the way of the world, right? But over here, what we find is uh, there is a question of a subtle kind of matchmaking which is taking place, right? And of course, as far as Emma is concerned, it's not subtle, right? Because you have the poem 
that uh, uh, what's his name? Elton writes, Mr. Elton writes, right? And that's left on the table, right? Now these are some kinds of ploys or some kinds of games which people play to attract other people, right? But the question is, who is Elton trying to attract? Is he trying to attract Emma or is he trying to attract Harriet, right? Yeah, and Emma likes to think that he actually written the poem for Harriet, right? And we all know about that. And uh, she makes all sorts of suggestions that here this man is in love, right? And he's written the poet for, the poem for you. But at the same time, there's all this kind of propriety and this kind of indifference to, uh, yeah, that, that's where it becomes interesting to look at, right? Because it's not wild emotion, right? It's not going crazy about it, except when Harriet blushes when she talks about Mr. Martin, right? Yeah, so at that point of time, you know that that's what the real thing is, right? This is a kind of a real emotion that somebody has for somebody else and she blushes because she can't con uh, contain her kind of emotion, right? And then you must look to the fact that we're talking about culture, right? Yeah, so the whole idea of high culture, right, uh, is being talked about because that whole, uh, the question of Harriet blushing, right, uh, that slowly becomes the sophisticated and it, it's not very late, much later, right? It, it's in a few chapters later that you get the walk to the country or the walk through uh, to uh, uh, Elton's house, right? Yeah, and Elton, right? And what happens over there is uh, you have this idea of being more sophisticated and the same kind of thing that you have in uh, Merchant of Venice, the first chapter, right? Uh, of course, uh, this, this, uh, the first, first act, first scene, the second act, second scene is two women talking and getting the intimacy in, right? Yeah. But uh, so, uh, and they're talking about marriage, and here also that happens uh, with uh, Jane Austen, right? Where Harriet and Emma are talking about their understandings of marriage, right? Yeah, and they're talking about the bachelor, right? Uh, and that was a real kind of scene. You get that in also in uh, Rochester. Where is this? Uh, that is, uh, where does the Rochester come? Jane Eyre, right, yeah? So you get that in Jane Eyre, you get that in Daphne du Maurier, right? And you get that again and again, right? So the idea of the bachelor, right, uh, is something that is uh, a kind of interesting and not interesting at, at, to some people, right, yeah? So the, the idea of an old maid is really a problem, and this is when society uh, actually has all these problems between men and women, right? Yeah. So a, a man not getting married is not a problem, but a woman not getting married is a real problem, right? And that is, uh, many societies have these problems, right? Uh, very conservative societies have these problems because then the idea is that a woman has to be uh, married at a certain amount, uh, at a certain age so that she can produce children and all that high, uh, whole thing of children production, which the feminist uh, shunned up, right? Yeah, and there are many women 
who don't care about marriage and just like Emma saying, well, but if it's for love, I'll get married, right? But if it's not for love, right? And it's for all the other things that social status, etc., right? Then it's not worth it, right? Now, uh, when we talk about fiction, we're also talking about the character of Isabel and the character of Emma, right? And we're also talking about them very, very English, right? Because you hardly get uh, and this kind of distance between Isabel and the children, right? Or uh, that is not shown, right? How does she relate to the children? Except that you know that they've gone off for a holiday uh, to the south of England, right? To have uh, salt water dips or salt water baths because uh, the, the little baby, I've forgotten the name of the baby, right? Uh, or the little child has got some kind of a uh, throat problem, right? Uh, yeah. What is the name of the man? What is the name of the kid? Little Emma, right? Yeah. And she, okay, so when you talk about the politics of naming, the question is, uh, and that's of course some kind of lack of creativity, we would say today, right? Yeah, and I remember I have two cousins called Roshni, right? Uh, one. Uh, and both of them, no, I, yeah, one is Bombay and one is in Australia. So there's some land be, uh, business that was going on, right? And uh, well, I, I mistook them because they're two uncles' children, right? So I said, well, uh, yeah, say hi to Aslam and, and the kids, right? And she said, well, I'm sorry, you're talking about the other, other Roshni, Roshni Sheikh, right? Because that uh, cousin Roshni has married Aslam, right? And yeah, they've got their own children. Yes, they've got their own kind of family. And she's in Bombay. This one is in Australia, right? Yeah, so, um, so she said, well, you're talking about Roshni Sheikh. I'm not Roshni Sheikh. And I'm this thing and that. And you might have mixed mix me up with the other uncle's uh, uh, child, right? Yeah. So I don't know why. And of course, she also said something very interesting. That is, uh, my mother, my father must have had a drink. And he couldn't find a better name for me. So he took... Um, uh, another uh, niece who was fond of him, or he was fond of, right? And he used that name, and I, that's how I got this name, right? So the whole idea of the politics of naming is interesting and very important, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, like for instance, I have my grandfather's name, and that's the same kind of nonsense that's going on over here, right? Which nobody calls me by, right? And when I went to school for the first day, uh, the teacher called out my name, and I didn't respond. And I didn't know, first of all, I didn't know what was attendance, right? And uh, when my mother came in to pick me up after school, right, after the bell was rung and all that, and she said, well, uh, uh, you didn't call the attendance. And the teacher was also confused. She said, well, I called your name. You didn't answer, right? I said, no, you didn't call my name, right? And uh, on, on the records, I'm called Joseph Rajan Barrett, right? And said, ooh. I didn't even know that I was called Joseph, right? And then I asked my mother, I said, how do I have this name? Is there a mistake over there? And then she said, no, that's a grandfather's name, right? Yeah, so my, grand, my father's father's name, right? So it's a very complicated kind of system of naming, right? And one gets very interested in all that, right? Because people have this habit of naming people after an aunt, right? Or after a grandfather, after an aunt, somebody you're very fond of, right? Yeah, so, or somebody who you might like, yeah? 
I don't know if anybody gives uh, names of people they dislike, right? Of course, I was working uh, in a private company, and there was one girl who uh, asked me, she said, well, I want a name uh, for a daughter I'm going to have, whenever I'm going to have her, right? I want a name of somebody who's really a villain, a really bitchy kind of creature, and all those kind of things, right? So, she, so the question is, what kind of name do you give your child, right? Okay, and here you have Henry given to uh, Knightley's uh, eldest son, because it's the old Mr. Woodhouse's name. So he's Henry Woodhouse, right? Yeah, and you get that with the royal family, right? How much of variation, I think one of the most interesting names that you have over there is Diana, right? How many queens are called Diana or how many princesses are called Diana? So that's when it actually gets into a different kind, uh, you get a different kind of, a different kind of person with a different kind of name, right? And in our Indian tradition, uh, we have a lot of people who have this idea of numerology and the idea of naming, right? And some people actually go and change their names, right? Uh, I couldn't care less about that, but many people actually change their names and the, the whole idea of the name change is a very important thing because the idea of luck comes in, right? Yeah, so how does luck work with your name, right? So uh, that's something else you might like to think about, right? Because, uh, in fact, there is a person here in Baroda who's gone to the University of Edinburgh to do a PhD in the politics of naming, right? And she's taken up a lot of data about Indian names and how people give names to children, right? Yeah, and, uh, and how do you name public places, right? Now we have a big issue uh, uh, with this present government in Karnataka, right? And I remember this, uh, this school which my mother went to, they're trying to rename it, right? Somebody sent me a petition to sign, right? And of course, in the bus stop, uh, it's called Lady Hill, right? Yeah, and uh, that's not the, uh, yeah, it's called, I don't know whether the school is called Lady Hill or the, uh, the people, uh, the, the, pub, the public has called that school uh, Lady Hill, right? And it's a 19th century, it was established in 19th century, and even if you go on the bus, right? the bus conductor will say, Lady Hill, right? And everybody knows where to get off, right? So that's a very important landmark, right? And now the, the government wants to name it by some, the name of some uh, godforsaken guru of somebody or the young, right? Who's got nothing to do with Karnataka and there's a big protest, right? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think we need to think about that. And if that, uh, the, the whole idea of the politics of naming comes here again, right? And why are we obsessed in India? Why are we obsessed with names, right? And uh, they changed Aurangzeb Road into uh, APG Abdul Karam Road, right? And that's something disgusting, right? Because the idea is to talk about Indian history, right? And that's what you will get when you go to England, right? In fact, if you go to a place called Newton's, uh, there's one section of the city which has all the poets' names in chronological order, right? So to, from, uh, 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 what's this called, uh, Burns and uh, Shakespeare and Marlowe and everybody, you've got all the, uh, the streets named after poets, right? Yeah, so that's the idea that was given when the British named all these places, uh, as Akbar Road and this road and that road, all the emperors of India 
So you have a whole section of Delhi named with all this, right? Now why should you pick our our answer, right? Yeah, I don't know, right? And get him out because uh, even if he is a bad and a horrible kind of ruler, you have to remember history with all its ugliness, right? Because otherwise we will not have a sense of history, right? And that is actually the idea of a sense of history, which is coming in with names, right? So when you name people in the family, you're talking about, uh, well, this person has got the grandmother's name, or this person has got the grandfather's name. Now, all those kind of things, I don't know how it works on the psyche of a child, right? Yeah, when you say that, well, you are like somebody else, right? Yeah, and that becomes very problematic. At least I find it very problematic because it's almost like saying uh, one part of my family says, I look exactly like my father, and another part of my family says, I look exactly like my mother. And I couldn't care less about it, right? Yeah, so what happens with the name calling, the, the names given, right? Yeah, so does that work, or does somebody get more affectionate to somebody else, right? And Mr. Woodhouse's uh, uh, pronouncements are really strange and funny because he says, well, the eldest son is called Henry, like me, and the younger son is like the mother, right? Yeah, he's called John after his father, right? Which I think uh, uh, today, I don't know how many people do that, right? Uh, or you have the idea of junior, yeah? Junior means you have the senior person and the son is called with the same name as the father, right? Which is some kind of lack of creativity, right? Yeah, so they might be, they might, they might be just too drunk or too lazy to find a better name and give some new and different kinds of names, right? So I think that's very interesting in how you name and what is your politics of naming, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, so some people would ask, uh, will ask me how, how do you get your name and all those kind of things. And my mother had some very, very interesting kinds of explanations about it, right? Yeah, so how did my name come up and yeah, all those kind of uh, very complicated stories. And uh, well, that was an event in itself about what and how do you name your child, right? Yeah, so here again this happens, right? And of course there's a very, very patriarchal kind of thing. And he says, well, the younger son is like the mother, right? Yeah, and somebody like the mother, somebody like the father, and he's very happy that the elder son is called after him, right? And uh, what is the politics that goes on that we don't know, right? Why is the elder son uh, given his name, right? Has it got anything to do with property, right? Has it, okay, or is it just sentiment, right? Yeah, so all those kinds of questions keep coming up, right? So, uh, 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 it's not, yeah, so there is a little bit of sentimentality, right? And as we know, sentimentality is something that we don't trust in literature, right? Okay, and that's exactly why a lot of literature people get very irritated with the way the government is going on with their sentimentality, right? Yeah, because sentimentality is linked up with something called hypocrisy, right? Yeah, uh, because we have sentiments, it's not that we don't have to have sentiments, uh, that's the highest, highest form of being, right? If you go from the stone to the human being, the idea of sentiment is getting more and more complicated, right? Yeah? Uh, so when we're talking about human beings, we have to have a lot of uh, sentiment, but we don't have to be sentimental, 
right? Yeah, because sentimentality in, uh, involves some kind of hypocrisy, right? So, uh, yeah, maybe one day we can actually, by the end of uh, the novel, we have to think about this idea of sentimentality because you have, at, uh, about the same time, you have a novel, or in the history of the novel, we have something called a sentimental novel, right? And uh, we have the sentimental comedy, and the sentimental comedy, the best example is, if you've read Kalidasa, uh, Shakuntalam, right? That's the best example of sentimental comedy, right? Yeah, it's called a VP sentimental comedy because uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the female protagonist is always going to be, be in a lot of trouble. Everything is going to be horrible for her. Uh, it's, and it begins with a lot of crying and all that. And everything is resolved after that, right? And that's why it becomes a comedy. That's the pattern we have for Bollywood movies. And that's the pattern that we've got from Shakuntan, right? Yeah, so, so that may be something that you might like. Right? To talk about the sentimentality of the novel. Right? Yeah? So the idea of sentiment is something that's, uh, so there's a difference, and the idea of, uh, the idea of having sentiment being uh, a proportionate in the amount of sentiment that you have. Right? That's okay, and that's uh, important from the idea of the neoclassical uh, idea of balance. Right? So we're talking about being sentimental. And we're talking about having uh, the right kind of sentiments. And the right kind of sentiments are important because uh, that's when we grow as human beings, right? Without sentiments, we can't like, write literature. We can't have buildings. We can't have art, right? So we might like a particular work of art, or we might like a particular character in literature, or we might like a particular form of art or literature or novels or music, right? Yeah, so that's when you get this kind of a rich sense of sentimentality, which is different from a, a very common uh, over-sentimental kind of way of going about, right? And of course, till chapter 12, you don't get uh, Emma showing a huge amount of sentimentality, right? Yeah, and actually, it's almost anti-sentimental because she doesn't talk about Mrs. Taylor as in any kind of sentimental terms, right? And that's when you have the practicality uh, versus sentimentality kind of debate about the novel, right? Because, and of course, uh, about English culture, right? They're not, they don't go around with all the sentimentality, right? Which you have in India all the time, right? And of course, it becomes very, very funny and amusing, right? Because to show uh, of, of course, there are reasons for that, right? Because the idea of touch uh, probably doesn't exist as much in our culture as it exists uh, in the West, right? Yeah, so you just look how complex it gets, right? So you have kissing, you have handshakes, you have all those kind of things, right? Uh, and of course, here we have the namaste, which some people say is good for social distancing, but the social distancing is a problem, right? Yeah, it's not social distancing, it's physical distancing, right? But the idea of social distancing is actually where the touch becomes a syndrome, right? Yeah, so at one level, this is a problem. And uh, you can go and hug somebody and you can give them a kiss, right? If you know them well enough and they accept it and all that kind of thing, right? And it's, it's supposed to be asexual, right? Yeah, uh, and of course, between lovers, it's okay, right? Uh, 
that's something else, right? But then the whole idea of the whole gradation of touch becomes so important, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, the whole idea of keeping a distance is something that we find very remarkable over here. At least I find it is remarkable that uh, uh, this woman called Emma doesn't go get over sentimental about the father, right? Uh, so that's something that's standing out, right? Uh, even about Harriet, there's this kind of distance that is maintained, okay? Social distancing, right? We're talking about social distancing, but you're, even in the talk and even in the expression, right? You don't find that they're crossing boundaries. The idea of uh, respecting other people's boundaries and keeping our distance, that's something that you get over here, right? Yeah, and that's something that all of us have to learn perhaps, right? Because we're talking about respecting people's privacy, right? And here you have the shoelace episode. And then of course what she does is uh, she goes and asks the person uh, in Elton's house to uh, get some kind of thing, uh, any kind of lace or anything of the sort to, to tie her shoelace, right? Because the shoelace breaks, right? Now that's interesting in itself because the idea of cobblers in India, right? You still get the mochis. They've not yet been exterminated, right? Uh, and unfortunately so, right? Yeah, because what happens when your shoelace goes, right? Of course, you might not get a shoelace anymore because slowly people have got rid of wearing shoes and they wear sandals and chuckles and all these kind of things, right? Yeah, so the mochi is important because the mochi uh, stitches up uh, Chapels which break and you can't you can't go and buy another pair of chapels for whatever reason. Maybe the shop is closed on Sunday, uh, or you are in a hurry and it's too late in the evening. All those kind of reasons come up, right? Yeah. So we have a recourse to all this. Now we're talking about a time in England, and I don't know what even now. I don't know if there's any because now they are uh, a kind of uh, late capitalist England, right? I don't know what. Oh, I've never seen a cobbler. Right? Because the cobbler is a person, or what we call mochi in India, is a kind of a person who actually uh, was very English right? at one point of time. Right? Now, uh, where do you get cobblers? Right? Yeah? Have they disappeared in England? Okay. Are they uh, disappearing in India? Right? Uh, yes, they are. Right? It's very difficult to get cobblers. Right? In fact, uh, 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 this company, which is a Canadian company called Bata's, right? Uh, and we are all, always, uh, in my day, we always bought our shoes from Bata's, right? Yeah. And when the shoes were a little so shop soiled, uh, I think there was a, an association in my school where we get, gave the old shoes to them and they would refashion them, right? Because the shoes were not really old and not usable, right? They would just change the soles and give it to poorer students for free. Right? Yeah, so that's the kind of, uh, and of course the identity of the students we didn't know, right? Yeah, so the idea is, uh, I went and found out if there's resoling done, right? And Bata's doesn't resole anymore, right? Because we, it's, we become Americans, right? The idea of becoming an American with the, a post-globalized world is, we don't like to resole anything, right? The idea of resoling is not there at all, right? So that's uh, an issue that we have, right? And you might like to think about, is there a cobbler? What kind of, what part of England is this, right? Yeah, so 
uh, were there cobblers there? Okay, so that's a question, and that's something that history researched upon, right? But this question definitely strikes us, right? Uh, and of course, in the rural areas, you might not, whether it's in India or any other part of the world, in, of course, in the United States, uh, there are many cities you can't even travel around without somebody to pick you up and drop you, right? Because there is almost no uh, bus service, right? Yeah, you'll find that also in some cities of India, right? Uh, where you don't have, uh, either you walk to the place or you have your own vehicle or somebody takes you along, right? Maybe you get an auto rickshaw in India, right? Yeah, in uh, a smaller town, right? Yeah. Uh, any questions first? Yeah, I must put on my next lecture. I've got a lecture immediately. Yeah. Any questions? Yeah. Yeah. How do you all respond to the novel? Because the idea is uh, we have to respond to a text, right? And we have to respond to a text in a way uh, that's unique, right? And it's to be an informed personal response, right? Yeah? So if you do not respond to the text, nobody can respond to the text other than you, right? And please remember that don't devalue yourself by thinking that only other people can uh, give you a response to the text and you rely on secondary uh, criticism, right? Yeah, because I think what's important is we have to actually talk about how do you respond to text, yeah? And uh, uh, the idea of the, the, we are not really doing a new critical reading, but we are talking about how do we have a close reading, yeah? Uh, as close as possible, right? Can we get, get to the idea of uh, a close reading, yeah? So that's something that maybe uh, you need to think about and we have to get there, right? Yeah, okay. And can I uh, shut this down? Yeah, because I think uh, we've gone to 10.3 and the people after this will get uh, a little worried because uh, I'm sorry that uh, I think I've overshot or we've not started on time. But please read the, at least read the part one very closely and get up all these things, right? These are very important things to look at when you read, not only for this, for any novel, right? Yeah. So the idea of names, right? For instance, I was wondering what was the name of this man called Knightley, and why do they not name him, right? Okay, and then it's only after in chapter twelve that you come to know that he's called George Knightley, right? Yeah. So that's some kind of close reading that you need to do, right? Then you have the age of, it, and that's exactly why I like Jane Austen's style, right? She's introducing you, she's getting you involved, and then she gives you all these details at a much later stage, right? And then you begin to wonder, well, could she have not given it in the beginning, right? And the question is, that would not be so interesting, right? At a later stage, you're talking about the age of when you actually think that Knightley and uh, Emma probably have something for each other, right? Then you get this idea much later than that, you get this idea that, well, uh, Knightley is uh, 16 years, George Knightley is 16 years older than Emma, right? So do you think that would be a match? Do you think that would be okay, right? Uh, do you think that uh, Emma, with her kind of a young, uh, energetic uh, notion of life, yeah, would she even think 
of this man called George Knightley as a companion, right? Of course, there were no livings in those days, so that's a, a, a quite kind of a big problem that many uh, people might uh, look at, right? Because the idea of the living and all these kind of things, uh, maybe they were there among the lower classes of people, right? Yeah, but here we're already talking about the idea of where did Hamlet come, uh, Harriet come from? Is Harriet uh, illegitimate? All those kind of considerations would not allow this idea of uh, just a living, right? Though it probably was uh, uh, something that was very common also, right? We don't know, we don't have enough data and uh, without having the data, we can't really make a statement, right? Yeah, thank you and we meet tomorrow. Yep. You're going and troubling Mao. What are you doing? You're troubling my gin tea. No. No. You can't do that. Come on, I'll give you something to eat. Did you? What happened? Are you frightened? You're frightened. What are you doing, Mao? I want to get angry.
plus two there. Okay. Yeah, we 